A long time ago, when I was a teenager, I saw an ad on TV, and I'm, I'm kind of pleased with myself to say that I can't remember what the ad was for. There was footage of a track star, a track star that I've maybe misremembered as uh, Florence Griffith Joyner, but the track star, an Olympian in any case, was running hurdles. And whoever it was in the commercial tears along the track and just neatly clears each hurdle. There's a, a voiceover running, and it's the, the runner's inner monologue. She says, people ask me what I think about while I run. She flashes over the hurdle. The voice counts in her head, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, jump. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, jump. And then the voice asks, more or less, what'd you expect, Shakespeare? <laughs> I don't remember the runner's name. I don't remember the product, and I don't remember if Shakespeare's little punchline to that little joke. But that ad totally changed my life. I was not an athletic kid. I wasn't an active kid. I mean, I read books, I wrote stories, I could not catch a ball to save my life. The one time it came close, the softball was coming right for me, and I thought, finally, and it broke my glasses. The presidential fitness test that I took in 1984 still haunts me. Why didn't I fall forward on the long jump? That was their advice. I fell backward and came up with a pitifully short measurement. They only go as far as your hands. I lived my whole life with an understanding of myself as not that active, not an athlete. I never played a team sport, and I hated almost every gym class I ever took. And I don't really remember why I ever started running. But I do remember when. I had always been, and still am one, who likes to take long walks, like pretty fast. I don't walk with other people because they almost inevitably walk too slowly for me. One summer I was staying with friends and they lived pretty rurally. I was taking care of their kids for like a month. And on my walks, on their long dirt road, I slowly started to pick up the pace. When you left their house, there was a long downhill and at first, at least on the way down, I would jog in short bursts. I'd, I'd jog, actually, while I counted my steps, a number for each full pace. So like one left, two left, three left, until I got to 100, and then I'd walk for a little bit, and then I'd run 100 paces again. I'm just compulsive enough as a person that that worked for me. There on the dirt road, and when I got back to my neighborhood in Boston, I counted steps. In Boston, there was a pond in my neighborhood about a mile and a half around, and that was the place that everyone ran to and then around. And I counted in hundreds, running and walking, running, walking, running, walking around that pond until one day I ran the whole way around the pond without any walking intervals. By the time I moved to Chicago, I was a runner. I ran north along the lake from Hyde Park, slowly getting better, if never much faster. I didn't count steps anymore, but I counted miles. And I trained for 5Ks and then 10 milers. And I loved it. I was amazed by it. I mean, who'd have thought? Like unathletic, sedentary me, watching my shadow as I logged miles, a runner. And I'd gotten there. One, two, three, like that. 
In spite of how that happened, in spite of how maybe bizarrely counting steps was compelling enough to me to make me a runner, there is nothing else in my life that I approach that way. I think that's right. Nothing else. In fact, when I was thinking about preaching this today, I said, I'm not inter- I, I am interested in this idea, but I'm not sure I can preach it because I'm not any good at it. I mean, taking things one step at a time, focusing on just the next thing. I like the idea. It sounds relaxing, kind of, focused, you know, to consider everything, just one. The field of what's possible, a field which I often find overwhelming, narrows down helpfully to only what's next. The next right thing. And I've long admired it as a principle of 12-step programs. Do the next right thing, one day at a time. That's the way to healing. But I don't live that way. I'm impatient. I want outcomes. I want the finished product. So much so that maybe bizarrely I resist starting. I see the magnitude of a project or a possibility and shrink back. I mean, how can it possibly happen? How can I make the change? How can I start a new habit or stop an old one? How can I, to give a very specific example, pay down my student loan debt, I thought, for years, when the debt is so big and my payments are so small? You won't be surprised to know that that did not work as a technique for paying down my student loans. I mean, I love the idea of incremental change. I believe in it. But how practically am I supposed to do anything about it? Is it Anna or Anna? I really haven't seen the movies. (laughs) But I do know that when Anna sings the next right thing, she's not singing about changing a habit. She's singing in the face of grief. That's her project. How can she possibly go on? What could possibly be next, if anything? The field of possibility is a big unknown. When the poet from the very beginning of the service is writing, he has reached the end of a journey, a pilgrimage. He's standing at an actual spot in Spain along the Atlantic Ocean with no way to the future and no way to make sense of the world that proclaims nothing but an end to the way he's come. When Abraham and Sarah from the Hebrews reading, when they set out for a place where they were supposed to receive an inheritance, a family, they were childless and did not know where they were going, only that they were going. Coming to the end of a chapter, of a path, of a relationship. Or maybe facing down a project like grief or a job change that you never wanted. Or coming to the beginning, a desire for something new. Or with this inarticulable learning, yearning that calls you forward. There it is, beyond, over the waves, out into the ocean, through the woods, among shadowing trees through your days different now, the hours stretching one by one, each full of choices to be made, a field of possibilities, what to do, how to do it, down the hill on a dirt road, one, two, three, four. A year and a half ago, on a pretty cold night in October, I fell, stepping up onto a curb in Logan Square, I messed up my knee. I messed it up less than I thought I had at first, way more than the x-ray indicated, and enough that eventually I stopped running. I mean, I'd been slowing down for a few years, logging way fewer miles than I had been. But it took the injury for me to realize I'm not really a runner anymore. 
And I didn't even realize right away, I mean, it took months of not running to notice I'm not a runner. And during that same time, Vince took on a new challenge, and he was training to run a really long trail race with his sister Kate. And I mean, admirably, Vince is like a very stepwise person in my experience, which is one of the many things I admire and envy about him. Like, he just works on things until they're done, which seems like magic to me. And for the race, he like followed the training plan and checked off his runs, and I envied him in all kinds of ways, working toward, what, 25K? I envied that stepwise motion. He checked off his runs, and he told me his time and his pace, and that it didn't really matter to him how fast things went, because he was just doing his next assignment, the next run. Well, when I tried to run, I looked back at it how it, how it had been in between when I was unathletic and when I was a runner, and I, I mourned what I'd lost. Once my knee was healed, after admittedly some very incremental work with a trainer, I mean, the kind of small, simple motions that embarrass me to do in the gym, like when there are all these like, muscle-bound people grunting around me, and it's like me and the grandmas who work out there doing like, little tiny, tiny motions, like stepping off of three inches and then six. Once my knee was healed, I had to admit, I had to acknowledge that I was not running. I was not a runner. I'd set out for what would have been easy three milers and would barely hit halfway before I'd have to walk, and I hated it. During that time, an old friend from high school who I'm barely connected with except on Facebook, she started posting daily runs. She's not an athletic person. She posted her short incremental runs. Sorry, she wasn't a runner. I watched her build up her distance, and she posted often with some irritation at herself about how slow her times were and how short her runs were, and I remembered, right, right, that's, that's how it's done. Just piece by piece, short, slow run by short, slow run. And I began again. A long time ago, when I was in college, I was sitting in a brightly lit uh, college classroom, and I listened to a fellow student agonize over the fact that he just couldn't be sure about faith. I mean, how could he know he wanted to know? Oh, I see, my pages got turned around, you guys. I was like, what's happening to me? That college classroom, this kid agonizing about what he could and couldn't know about faith. I was only very briefly part of the college Christian fellowship, and his agonizing was part of why. I think the other part was that it was called the fellowship, but... This guy, Sam, Long hair wanted to know that what he was doing was right, that he, that we all, were on the right path. And another guy, another student, slightly older, maybe one of the leaders, asked Sam if he knew a certain road in town. You know how when you get to the top of the hill on that road, the very crest, you can't see over it? That's faith, he said, that the road is there, just over the top of the hill. It just is. I hated all of this. I hated the agonizing, the brightly lit classroom, for me, faith had, until that point, always been easy. I didn't need a metaphor, or rather, the metaphor was obvious. Like, of course, the road is there. You just acted as if. You just do the next thing. The spiritual part of a spiritual journey, that part was easy for me. But when it comes to the actual work 
of God transforming my life, me listening to the voice and following it, and doing the next right thing, that's where I get hung up. That's where I resist the very first step. That's where I refuse to start. So many projects like this. I don't know how all of you are when it comes to something like this. I used to think about starting therapy. Like, if I start with therapy, then I'll have to tell them everything, and it'll be like years. <laughs> like, years that could start now, or years that could start later. If I file the paperwork to see this lawsuit through, who knows how long that's going to take? I could start now or start later. The project of being church, the vision that we have for this place, I mean, all together, do we start doing that work now or later? Abraham and Sarah, when they set out on their trip, they didn't know where they were going. They did have a promise in the distance. They did have some vision of what had been promised to them, that they would be a great people, but they had no data to back it up. We have a promise, too. God has made promises to us. Promises about healing and change and transformation. Promises about taking the step, about driving over the crest of the road, the hill. The end of that passage gets to that great ringing section, run the race set before us with perseverance. The only way to run any race of any kind, metaphorical or actual, 25K or a half mile, is step by step. It doesn't matter if I'm counting steps or not. The only way that anything happens is step by step. If I want to change, if I need to, then that first step, the one I don't want to take, that's the one that's mine to act on. But no matter what, it's all stepwise motion. All of that motion, that is the thing itself. Doing the next right thing, that's the thing. Not taking the next drink, that's not drinking. Making a healthy choice for your diet, that's living healthily, one choice at a time. Making a slightly bigger payment on your student loan, that's paying down your student loans. Coming to church and making homemade ice cream, and being friends and doing the chili work for the refugee family. That's all church, step by step. That's saying the whole way to heaven is heaven. The kingdom is at hand. And still I resist. So my prayer for me, for us, I don't know if you want to pray it too, is that God would make me willing to take the first step. Amen.